I say the word servitude because that's a word we're going to look at today from the letter of the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church. So if you will, turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Um, I felt led of the Lord to just go to Philippians for a while. We're going to plow our way through this book. Uh, we may not preach every verse that's in the book, uh, but certainly hit the major highlights of the book of Philippians. Uh, Karen and others in our church teach school, public school, and some of you teach uh, private school, I guess. How many school teachers do we have in here? Would you just guys raise your hands, please? There you go. All right. Uh, you're, you're ready to go, right? <laughs> you're, you're ready. Summer's over, and you're ready to go, ready to get back to those kids. Well, we want you to know we appreciate you. We really do. And uh, I praise the Lord that we have dedicated Christians that are teaching in our schools for our children. Somebody said as long as there's tests in school, there lot, God will always be in the classroom. Uh, but uh, thank you, teachers, for bringing the presence of Christ to the classroom because when those students see you, they measure all of life by who you are and how they view you. And uh, I thank God that we have such uh, dedicated Christian teachers uh, from Ekron that are serving in the schools in our area. And we just want you to know we appreciate you. Uh, you're in our thoughts and prayers. And any way that we can help, we want to help even more. All right, today our message is about partakers of grace. Paul is speaking about the grace of God, and he uses that phrase here in chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 1 through 11. So if you will, join with me in the reading of God's Word. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the Agioi, the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, including uh, bishops and deacons, or overseers and um, deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless, until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. The verse that uh, we get our message from today, the title of our message is in verse 7. He, he mentions here that the church at Philippi, you all are partakers of grace with me. Now, uh, some say that the Apostle Paul was a southerner because he kept using the word you all here in this passage of Scripture. Just in these 11 verses, he uses that phrase three different times to refer to the church at Philippi. 
So uh, long before there were Southern Baptists, there were Southerners in, in, the, uh, in the biblical regions of this place called Philippi. Well, where is Philippi, and why is Philippi so important? Well, the Apostle Paul spent two years there founding a church. And as was his custom, he would go to a Greek-speaking region and would find a group of Jews who were gathered to worship on the Sabbath. That would be a Saturday. And in Philippi, he found a group of worshipers, Jews, who, were, who had set up a kind of synagogue, maybe a, 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 a tent-like area or a, somewhere by the river there. Uh, he found a group of Jews that were worshiping God. And among this group of Jews was a lady named Lydia. And uh, Lydia became a convert. She was Greek. Uh, she was of Roman citizenship. And uh, having been Greek... Uh, she was an outsider. She was not Jewish, which meant that this lady named Lydia would have been a God-fearer, a God-fearer, meaning that these were people who were worshiping with the Jews, hoping to become a proselyte in the Jewish uh, community at Philippi. So this is where Paul landed, and he stayed two years, Seven years after that, he wrote this letter to the Philippian church, giving them encouragement. One of the reasons that he was encouraged by the church is that they had received an offering uh, that would be taken back to Jerusalem uh, to be given to the uh, Jewish converts who had become Christians in J Jerusalem. There was a famine t taking place there. So Paul was encouraged because... He had received help from this church, and he had received an offering that could be taken back to say to the Jewish uh, converts, uh, we are including you in the work of the gospel. Uh, it was the Jewish converts that really didn't want the Gentiles in the church until they had become Jews, until they'd been baptized like the Jews, circumcised like the Jews, uh, pledged to keep all of the laws like the Jews, and even though the Jewish people didn't want the Gentiles in the church until they became Jews, Paul is saying, we're going to take an offering back to the hungry Jews who have been isolating themselves from the Gentiles to say to you, we have the love of God and we are demonstrating that love of God by giving you an offering that's probably going to save your life. So this is an interesting book. Now one of the things that makes this book interesting, in addition to the encouragement that Paul has, is the fact that Paul is writing a letter and the theme of this whole letter is rejoice. Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. Now, why would that be so important? One of the reasons that's important is he is writing from imprisonment in Rome. Uh, he's under what we might call today house arrest. And Paul is able to have a praetorian guard to, to be with him, but he has some freedom. Among the freedoms that he has is receiving people to visit with him and bring him news about the churches that he has planted, and one of those is the church at um, Philippi. So they would send Timothy, they would send Epaphroditus, they would send others to come and encourage Paul, and Paul would send a letter back to those churches. And that's how we got this book of the Bible. Now imagine for a minute that you're under house arrest and you're under prison and you're not allowed to go anywhere, kind of like being under COVID, except that you're very, very hungry. 
and you are writing a letter of encouragement talking about joy all the time. How can you have joy when you are in bonds? And that's why Paul describes himself here as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What is a bondservant? There are two words for slave in the New Testament. One's the word doulos, and it's translated slave. And the other is bondservant. It's a little bit different in the sense that you have voluntarily given your uh, uh, self to someone who will take care of you for the rest of your life. And you were not just employed by them, but you bear their inscription. And you bear their authority. And you bear their credibility as well. And uh, this bondservant is dedicated to the person that they have agreed to serve for the rest of their life. And Paul is saying, I have agreed. I have said yes to Jesus and to his call in my life to be a servant of his. And I'm going to stay with Jesus for the rest of my life. Because if you were a bondservant, you couldn't be sold to another owner, nor could you be set free. You were obligated for life. And that's how Paul describes his relationship with Jesus Christ. And so he uses the word bondservant to describe that relationship with Jesus. He uses another word here called saints. And uh, we're not saints because we are worthy or we are um, somehow better than other people or holier than thou. But we have been made holy because we belong to Christ. And Christ lives in us. And so the New Testament believers who followed Jesus were called Christians. First at Antioch. And then following Antioch, wherever they went, they were called Christians. If you could use a word to describe your relationship to Jesus, would it be the word bondservant? Would it be the word saint? Would it be the word Christian? Any of the three would qualify to for you to define yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ, a born-again believer. That's the expression we use to describe our relationship with God through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. So today as we go through these 11 verses with that little bit of background, uh, we're going to talk about Paul's calling to be engaged, to be a partaker of grace. Uh, to be a partaker of grace is to enjoy this calling of grace, to be engaged with the community around us. Because the Apostle Paul here is saying, we are bondservants, we are saints, but we are engaged in Philippi. We are involved in that community. God has called us to this location and to this place. Now there's a phrase to talk about the church that's universal, uh, that many believers are unseen around the world, but this locale and this location called Philippi, was where Paul served for two years planning the church and left uh, Timothy at Crete and other places like that in order to sustain the church and to raise up leaders in the church. And so we've been called here to Ekron. This location at this place called Ekron is where God has planted us. And he's planted you here as well. Are we engaged in the community where we are located. Philippi is kind of interesting. It's a town where gold was discovered. 
It's a town that was named after uh, Alexander the Great, Philippi. Uh, it was a town that was like a crossroads uh, of culture where many gods came through and many gods were set up and worshipped in that city there. It was a diverse community, uh, a diverse cross-culture, and wherever you went, people from around the world had located there for a short period of time. Like some of the major cities of our United States, people come to find jobs and they're located there for a period of time. And the Apostle Paul says, we are in a hub we are in a hub where people come and people go and they need the Lord. And while they're here and while we're here, we're going to engage with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what he did on that riverbank when he, when he met with the synagogue there and began to proclaim them the gospel. It's interesting how Paul used this kind of opportunity to spread the gospel around the world. He would uh, travel, and in his travels, he'd listen to the, the uh, Holy Spirit of God. In fact, in this location here at Philippi, Paul had, had not planned to go there. He had planned to go to Troas. He had planned to go east. He had planned to take the gospel in his route, and the Holy Spirit just shut him down. He shut down that mission trip, and he said, instead of you going east, I want you to go west. And in going west, the apostle Paul came to this region and wherever he went, he would find a synagogue, these who were in their services reading Scripture, and they would offer to Paul an opportunity to expound on the Scripture, and he would do that. And in reading the Scripture, he would say, now this Jesus that I'm reading about here, this Messiah that I'm reading about here, this is Jesus the Christ who came from heaven to earth and was crucified for our sins and was raised from the dead. One of the greatest hymns we have in our Bible is from Philippians chapter 2, where Paul talks about the descending Christ, Christ who comes from heaven down to earth and was crucified and died on a cross and was buried. And on the third day he was raised from the dead and ascended back to the Father. That descending Christ, the incarnation of our Lord, and his coming to us is what the gospel is all about. And that's how Paul would explain the scriptures of the Old Testament to help those who were worshiping in the synagogue to understand the promises of the Messiah have been fulfilled in the coming of the Christ. So I would ask this question of you as we think about receiving the gospel and being partakers of grace, having believed in Jesus Christ. Among the friends and family that we find ourselves in, how are we participating in the gospel? How are we participating in the gospel? How are we participating in grace? What are some of the ways that we are engaging the community around us with the gospel? How can I, as an individual, uh, communicate this good news to those that are around me? Uh, the gospel is not just for those far away. It's for those who are here as well. So think about how God's calling you to be engaged in the community where you live right now. You may not live here forever. But while you're here, how is God using you to speak the gospel to the, com to the community in which you live? Number two, Paul talks in this passage about a confidence that motivates him. It gives him courage. And this confidence that gives him courage is the gospel. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
For it's the power of God unto salvation, to the Jew first and then to, to the Greek, and for all who will believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. It's interesting that Paul has the strongest courage to be faithful to the gospel, listen to this, when it's his darkest hour. We find Paul at his darkest hour in Acts chapter 16 at Philippi. Because while he was there preaching the gospel, uh, some of the Jews that were there discovered that he was teaching that Jesus was the Christ and that he was the King of Kings. And they were jealous of Paul and they reported to the authorities that this visitor named Paul is teaching about a new king that's not Caesar. And so that's not good news to go back to, 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 to Rome. And so they imprisoned Paul and they imprisoned Silas with him. And while they were in prison, at midnight, they were in the deepest chamber of that prison. While they were in prison, while they were in chains, an earthquake came. And their chains f fell off, and the Philippian jailer was sh uh, shook up, and he went in there to find the Apostle Paul, thinking that these prisoners had escaped, and he was going to uh, com commit suicide. And the Apostle Paul called out and said, don't, don't do anything rash, we're still here. Now, you would have thought that if his chains fell off, the Apostle Paul would say, I'm out of here. I mean, when hard times come, we want to get out of here, don't we? And here it is at midnight, and here he is starving and hungry, and here he is, his chains have fallen off because God has released him, and he says, I think I'll just hang around a while. And the Philippian jailer said, no, you've got to leave. In fact, uh, we're going to help you get, get out of town. Paul says, I'm not going anywhere. You all took me outside. You arrested me. Uh, you beat us with a rod uh, a, a number of times. We're aching and hurting, even though we were Romans. And that's when they realized that they had problems on their hands because Romans didn't beat Romans. And they were the authorities were guilty of assaulting uh, the Apostle Paul, and they said, would you just go away, and would you just quit making trouble, and would you just leave? And Paul said, no, I'm going to hang around a while. I'm going to hang around a while. Do you have that kind of courage? I don't. I don't have that kind of courage. I don't like pain. Anybody here like pain? I don't. I don't like pain. Do anybody here like suffering? I don't. I don't care for suffering. The Apostle Paul said, I think I'll just hang around a while. Because in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, God revealed himself as a God of grace and a God of miracles and a God who's going to take care of him and a God that's going to provide. And he said, just as I am chained to Christ as a bondservant, I'm going to remain here in this prison and just see what God will do. And he was allowed to go outside the, the next day. He continued to preach the gospel there. People were converted to the gospel of Christ because they had never seen a demonstration of the power of God quite like this. When your life is going good, when you're not having any problems, uh, it's our efforts that tend to shine. It's, it's our good deeds and it's our good works that people pay attention to. But when it's your darkest hour, when you need help that no one can help you but God, 
That's when God begins to work miracles that no one can, can say is anything other than an act of God. I'll share a story with you. When I was serving as the chaplain in the uh, Air National Guard, we had, a, we had a chief there in the Air Force. That's the highest-ranking enlisted officer. And his name was Tom, Tommy Downs. Tommy Downs was one of the finest guys you ever met in your life. Great leader, and everybody loved Tommy. And Tommy came down with some kind of illness and was hospitalized. He had several surgeries while he was in the hospital, and he was literally dying. And while he was uh, being treated there in the hospital, the family had to make a decision. And it's one of the hardest decisions that I've ever seen any family have to make. And it's that decision as a spouse of the family. It, it was her decision to say, we've done all we can, and we're going to remove all of the, all of the uh, uh, supplies that supplies oxygen, keeps your heart going, and those kinds of things. And she didn't want to make that decision. And uh, me being a chaplain there, I just, God just gave me a new courage. Because when you're serving in the Army, the Air Force, you have to respect the faiths of the other people that are in the room. But I just felt this is a time to say, God, you need to show up here. Because we're, the, the wife is trying to make this decision. She don't want to make this decision. And so around his bed, were, first of all, his wife, right by, the, right by where he was uh, lying on the pillow in the ICU, and around him were the other officers. And, uh, I mean, we're talking a two-star general, one-star general, some colonels were in the room. I mean, all of the head staff of the Air National Guard in the state of Kentucky. And we were all anxious, very anxious. And I just kind of spoke up, and I said, may I offer a suggestion? I knew Tommy was a man of faith. I knew that he attended church. He just had that character about him. He had that history. I said, can I just offer a prayer? And then I began to pray. And as I prayed, Tommy breathed his last. And no one had to make a decision. God made the decision. Tommy went right on to be with the Lord. And when I said amen at the end of that prayer, we said the Lord's Prayer. When we said amen at the end of the Lord's Prayer, there was a hush in that room that you could slice with a pencil. I mean, just, it was so quiet and so calm. I've never been in that kind of aura before in my life. Tommy went to be the Lord, and his wife was spared of having to make that decision for him. God shows up when you can't help yourself. God shows up when you are at life's bottom. Somebody's made the statement, when you're at rock bottom, you're standing on the solid rock. Jesus Christ. He never abandons you. He never forsakes you because you are his. And we need to claim that, uh, that very specific relationship that we have with the living God through Jesus Christ. We are His. We belong to Him. We are His bond servants. We go where He says go. We do what He says do. Nobody can take away or destroy that specific relationship that we have with the true and the living God. 
This is when God does miracles for us. Well, third and finally, and if I could just review the two points of the sermon today, we are partakers of grace, meaning that we are called to engage in the community where we are right now. And for Paul, that was in uh, Philippi. He wanted to get back there. He told them in the letter here, as God is my witness, I want to get back to you. But he was under house arrest, and he was not allowed to leave. But yet he was able to travel through the letter, and he sent words of encouragement and told them to be, to be a church of courage, to keep being generous as you were before, and to be faithful as a bondservant and a saint of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he talks about this confidence that he has, and it's all in this letter. He can continue to say, rejoice, better days are ahead. God has not abandoned us. God is not through with you. Keep believing and keep serving. Don't quit. Don't stop. God's about to do a greater work through you. In fact, he encourages them by saying, he who began, listen to that, he who began a work in you will complete it. But you must remain faithful, even in the darkest hour, to, <clears throat> to watch him do and complete what you and I cannot do ourselves. Out of that relationship comes point number three, a visibility of credibility. You see, you didn't have to go looking at Paul's resume to understand that he was a faithful apostle of the gospel. He could just announce himself, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. That's all he needed to say. He didn't need a resume. He didn't need letters of introduction. He just introduced himself as being a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And his legacy, what he left behind everywhere he went, was a story and a legacy of credibility. You could count on the Apostle Paul. He was who he said he was, and he left a creditable witness, a visible witness of his work in Christ. Verse 8 says, For God is my witness, how, long, <clears throat> how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, and I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Paul's going to talk about excellence in the gospel here uh, later in other chapters, and we'll look at that a little more. In order to be, in verse 10, sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. That has to do with one's credibility. A visible credibility. Sincerity and blamelessness. Sincerity meaning that uh, you're dedicated and it's obvious that your commitment is there. Paul said, this is excellence. And that we are to seek excellence in serving Christ so that you will have a track record of being sincere. Also, that you be blameless. Blameless meaning that no one can accuse you and, and, uh, and destroy your testimony because you are a dedicated, faithful servant of Christ. So how do we build this credibility? Well, let me give you about five quick ways. One, deepen your prayer life. And if you're facing a, a specific challenge at this time, deepen your prayer life. Go deeper. Go deeper in your prayer life with the Lord. Number two, show up. Show up. Good things happen when you show up. When you show up for Sunday school, when you show up for uh, 
worship, when you show up for opportunities to be on mission with Christ, or with the church, serving the Lord, when you show up, God shows up as well. Number three, be serious about your generosity. Be, cons be consistent and be serious about your generosity. As the uh, speaker said here the other day, don't give to get, give to give. Don't give to get, give to give. Because there is the testimony of the sincerity of our faith. Uh, number four, be an example to your family. Be an example to your family. Now, we have your students here about one hour on Sunday and uh, about one hour on Wednesday night. That is not enough time to instill in your children uh, the virtues, the character, the characteristics that you want them to have as they grow up in this adult world. But you as a parent, you have them, and those who are in school, teachers, you have them as well. And those are opportunities to set an example for your family. And lastly, do it all with joy. Do it all with joy. We had a saying back at the church I came from, if it ain't fun, we don't do it. And by that I meant that, uh, yeah, we had to do a lot of hard things, but there was a joy in what we did because what we do that is within our gifts that Jesus has blessed us with through the Holy Spirit returns to us in a, with an energy and a joy. And uh, the more you do what God's called you to do, the more energy you have to continue to serve as a bond servant of the Lord. So find how God has called you to serve. Get in there, be energized, and you'll find yourself being rewarded with joy. Happiness comes and go goes, but joy remains. And even though Paul was writing from prison, he was saying rejoice, rejoice. Don't give up. Yeah, hard times are coming. We've all got to deal with hard, challenging times. But that does not take away our relationship with God because we are bondservants of Christ Jesus. And as it is with Jesus, so it shall be with us. The day is coming when uh, uh, if Christ uh, does not return yet, there'll, there'll come a day when none of us will be on this earth. We will all have passed from this life save the return of Christ. But that's not the end. Beyond the grave is eternal life because as Jesus died for us and rose again from the dead, that's our future, that's our hope in the Lord. We are bondservants of Christ and we are tied to Him for eternity. And as Jesus was raised from the dead, we shall be raised also. See how important that word is? We are bondservants, we are tied to Christ. And his future is our future. We're going to live forever. Because Jesus, and only because Jesus, has been raised from the dead. And because we've said yes to his call to be a disciple. So I ask you this morning, have you said yes to Christ? Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you said, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. I want you to... Forgive me my sin. I want you to save me from my sin. Have you done that yet? If you've not, today is your day. Today is your appointed time. Now is your opportunity to be saved and to give your life to Christ. And I'm going to ask you to come during this song, during, during the singing of this song, during this uh, invitation time. 
I'm going to invite you to come. And I'll pray a prayer with you to help you uh, 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 nail down this, this dedication of yourself to Christ and, and receive him into your life as your Lord and your Savior. Let's stand together with our heads bowed. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to serve you. Thank you for this opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And I pray that today someone will come and say, I'm ready to give my life to the Lord. And may they come with sincere hearts, <clears throat> being ready to be a bondservant of Christ, being ready to be chained to Jesus for all of eternity. And I pray this all in Christ's name. You've been listening to the Sunday morning worship service of the Ekron Baptist Church. You too can accept the eternal life offered by Jesus Christ. First, admit that you are a sinner. Then believe that Jesus Christ can forgive you of your sins and ask Him to come into your heart and change your life. Then confess your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. If you've made this decision today, write to us at the Ekron Baptist Church. 2775 Hayesville Road, Ekron, Kentucky, 40117. If you're looking for a church home, we invite you to be a part of our growing family with programs and Bible studies for all ages. Join us next Sunday at 11 a.m. for morning worship from the Ekron Baptist Church. Until that time, may God bless.